0: This morning, I have the the honor and the privilege to read the scripture of the Lord. It is uh, Matthew 20, verses 1 through 15. It's great to see such a large body this morning. Praise be to God. God has truly honored our church. Laborers in the vineyard, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning. To hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going about about the third hour, he gave he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, Go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing and he said to them why do you stand here idle all day they said to him because no one has hired us he said to them you go into the vineyard too and when the evening came the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman call the laborers and pay them their wages beginning with the last up to the first and when those hired about the 11th hour came each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last only worked one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of all the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am not doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last to the last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the the scripture this morning, Lord, and Lord, uh, be with jackie lord as he teaches us uh, uh, a deeper meaning uh, through it lord and lord just just thank you for this church lord we also need need your blessing on our nation this week lord also as elections are today place lord and lord uh only those that you chose choose to be in that position may you uh, lift them up to that lord Bless this day. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: Lord have mercy. Is anybody thankful for the Lord's mercy? Yes. Are you thankful for His grace? Yes. So this morning, as we come to the text in front of us, um, you know it's hard to to uh, be able to take the a big enough bite. So this text that we're looking at really belongs to the one we talked about last week, which uh, was the rich young ruler. You guys remember the rich young ruler? He came to Jesus and he said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, what does the the law say? Obey, Obey the commandments and you shall live. And he says to him, well, what, what do I lack? He recognized something's still, it's not all there. I don't have it all, I don't have it all figured out. So Jesus told him, "You take everything you have and surrender it all. Give it all to the poor and follow me. And the Bible says that the rich young ruler went away sorrowful. And then Jesus makes a statement. He says, it is so hard for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples who believe that wealth is a sign of God's pleasure for you, they said, well, who can be saved if the rich aren't saved? Jesus said, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But what is impossible with men is? And then Peter says, but Lord, we have left everything to follow you. What will we have? So Jesus said in the new world, in the, in the new heaven and the new earth there'll be twelve thrones, and you'll sit on to judge the nation of Israel. And then he told this story. They are not, they are all linked. It all fits together. It's all a part of the same, the same teaching because the kingdom of heaven does not operate on human wisdom. And while we're at it, human wisdom isn't even wise. (laughs) Right? The Bible says the foolishness of God. And how many times have you heard someone or another speaking about or thinking about things that God has done say, I just don't get it. Why would he do it like this? Why would he do it like that? In Isaiah 55, the Lord said, my ways are. Higher than your ways. My thoughts, they're higher than your thoughts. God's reasoning is perfect. Man's reasoning is hampered by the effects of sin. Theologically, it's called the noetic effects. That has nothing to do with Noah, it just has to do with the fact that sin has permeated every part of our being. And it's seen in this simple story. The way that we think things ought to run. And the way that God thinks. When we, when we look at this story, we, we forget perhaps that the God who lavishly clothes the flowers of the field and feeds the birds delights to give his servants More than they deserve. Now we go sideways as soon as we say, But Lord, I deserve more. If they get that, what do I get? So Jesus tells this parable. And he lays it out before us. The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his field. Do you think he needed them? In the Old Testament scripture, this is direct, directly pulled out of the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah, the Lord says, Israel is my vineyard. And the Lord says, I'm the owner. They're my vineyard. And I set up a hedge, and I've protected them, and I watched over them, and I cared for them. And when the, ta- the time came for me to reap what was mine, I sent my servants, and they beat them, and they killed them. So I said, I will send them my son They'll honor him. The Lord says, I protected you, I cared for you, I watched over you, but you have rebelled against me, so I will take down my hedge. That protection left the the borders of of Israel. Jesus, using that same um, parable, is going to ask the Pharisees, so what should the owner of the vineyard do? And they even say they perceived he was talking about them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The vineyard is is the nation of Israel. And he's saying, look, he, he has workers, but because of his grace, we'll read about it in a minute, because of his grace, he goes out to hire day laborers. So he didn't need them. He didn't have to have them, but time of harvest is coming. I'll get more guys. He does not follow earthly wisdom because earthly wisdom would say you make a contract with every one of them and you definitely don't pay the last guys a full day's wage for an hour, right? But Jesus, he lays this out so that we can understand the concept of the grace of God being bestowed upon the people of God who come to him with no contract. The only people who had a contract were the first laborers, right? The very first laborers, he said, come work for me for a day, and I'll pay you a day's wage. Is that fair? For sure it is. Unless you're one of those guys who's watching the guy who just was there for an hour get the same pay. And it it shows us, it sticks a mirror in front of us and says, are you the rich young ruler who thinks this is the kingdom that I have built? These are my expectations. This is what I deserve. Or are you the one who has come by grace where the Lord says to you in the third hour, in the sixth hour, in the 11th hour, come and I will pay you whatever's right. The parable shows us several things. First thing we see is the sovereignty of God. It's his vineyard. The Bible tells in Isaiah 5.1, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. You can read. That's, a, that's the parable, the initial one. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7 of Isaiah 5, he says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah, they are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. It's all his. And by contract, there is nothing good to come to us. We need to understand by contract, according to the book of Romans chapter one, we are children of wrath. Our contract with the Holy God displays before us that we are deserving of his wrath. The perfect example of the wrath of God is hell, right? For we have not been appointed unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the picture of wrath. That's man's state. That's where we are, apart from Christ, But the beautiful thing about this parable, Jesus doesn't just go out and hire the first guys. He does not just ignore it. He does not ignore the state. He does not say, I'm just going to leave you there, and I'll bring judgment, and you can have the contract that you deserve. You see, Scripture teaches us that God does whatsoever he pleases. But when we talk about Scripture that says God does whatsoever he pleases, we always tend to look at it in a negative light. Like, like he threw that lightning bolt to ruin my life. Right? He's giving me what I deserve, and so that's why these negative things or these bad things have happened in my life. But when the Bible says in Psalm 115, verse 3, our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases, he's referring to the ability to bring salvation to a wretch like me. When he says, I do what I please, and I know a lot of people will use this like a hammer, and try to thump you on the head with it. God does whatever he wants, and it's true. Look, I read the book of Job. You guys remember Job? Job's like, when I get to stand before God, I'm gonna tell him a thing or two. And then he stood before God, and he's... And I promise you, everyone who says, I'm gonna give God a piece of my mind is gonna have the same experience. You stand before God, you will have nothing at all to say. So when the Lord says he does whatsoever he pleases, it's dealing with God bringing salvation to wretches like us who are separated from God because of the state of sin that we find ourselves in. He does not just leave us there. Can you just fathom for a moment what the incarnation took? The God of the universe became an infant that had to be fed by a mother and changed, his diapers changed. And what level of humility for the greatest, most worthy being of the universe? So when we go to Philippians chapter two and we talk about learning to walk in humility and what humility is, we don't even have a comprehension at all because there's no way you can, you can uh, humble yourselves in the sense of leaving the all-powerful, almighty God of the universe and becoming an infant and, and what that meant. I know there are lots of smart people, smarter than me that, can, that, that we all try and we all fall short. Just so you know, you're welcome to come a coffee tomorrow. Tell me all about it. But you, language does not give you the ability to, to say what that was. And so when in Philippians chapter two, he says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, your Lord, who being God in the flesh. Humbled himself. He's describing this incredible incarnation, Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 8. Right? God does whatsoever he pleases. And it's beautiful. It's amazing. Psalm 135, 5 and 6 says, For I know the Lord is great that the Lord is above all gods, whatsoever the Lord pleases he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. There's nobody who would have said, you know what you should do, Lord, is send your one and only son to come as a sin sacrifice for the people. You wouldn't have come up with that plan. No, you wouldn't maybe you would have said i could sacrifice myself but if you have children you look if you don't have any kids you you have a you have a comprehension of love and i'm not saying it's bad but my brain melted when i held my baby just so you know and if you talk to to a parent they'll say yeah you know i had this intense incredible. I thought, man, I love my wife. There's nothing like that love. And then I held our first baby and I was like, oh, oh, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Because there's nothing that baby could do for me. There's nothing that baby can give me. But there's this intense, the Bible says, God the Father gave his one and only Son that he loved. The description in the Bible that talks about the way God loved the Son, you and I can't fathom it. I don't care what we try to compare it to. You will never be able to fathom the love between Father and Son, the unity that was God. And God, because he is good he gave his one and only son so you and I could experience salvation. And he didn't give his one and only son to live a happy-go-lucky life and have all the good things, all the frills, all the shiny stuff. He gave his son to become a sin sacrifice for me who would be standing at the foot of his cross and saying how wretched he is. How worthless he is. We don't understand grace because we, you and I in the story, tend to be, tend to have the attitude of the first guys hired. We tend to think about what God owes me. We tend to say the words Peter said, Lord, I've given all to follow you. What will I have? Right? And in reality, what Jesus is saying is, <clears throat> in human understanding, and in, I'm, I'm limited by language here, so don't judge me too harshly, but Jesus gave it all for me. I'm not saying he was not God. He is fully God and fully man. So I'm trying to save myself out of stepping in muddy waters in the hypostatic union. Most of you won't care, but somebody will. So, so I, I, I'm not trying to say that. Jesus is fully God. He did not surrender his deity in any way. And he added to his deity perfect humanity. And he came, and what was involved in that I could spend eternity and still fall short of understanding it, what he surrendered for me. So when he stands there and looks across at the rich young ruler, and the rich young ruler is thinking, I have so much. Why do I have to give up so much to follow you? He, Jesus is like, you don't have any idea what real surrender looks like you don't no matter what we it does not matter in earthly terms what we match up to Jesus it will never equal ever if you work the full 12 hours and you get paid he paid you infinitely more than you could ever have earned. That's the point of the story. So when the Bible says God does whatever he pleases, he raises up kings and brings down kingdoms, always and in every sense, he is doing it for a redemptive purpose. The Lord never destroys just to destroy. But he does judge. He is righteous in all that he does. And when we bump up against something that we can't fathom, we sang a song today. I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. And because I know what you've done, I know your character. You are a holy God, perfectly just you are a holy God, who is also perfect wrath, perfect justice, perfect goodness. You you can't wrap your brain around that. And if you think you can, you don't know yet, because you can't. I sat in a in a class on theology. Uh, Eric Theonis. I can't, I can't I don't remember how to say his name. He wrote a book called uh, Jealous God, which is an incredible book if you get a chance to read it. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but he was a very gifted um, teacher. And I remember his lecture on the attributes of God. I'll I'll never forget it because it was the first time somebody started to melt my brain in thinking about God. And he said, look, God's not like, 50-50, love and wrath. He is holy wrath, and he is holy love. not part love. We have such a hard time wrapping our minds about how that works. That's why God said, "My ways are He is so incredibly good. You remember the rich young ruler said, what good thing must I do? And Jesus is like, why do you ask me about a good thing? A new King James, it says, why do you call me good? And this whole section, we go into this story. Jesus is going to tell you why he's good. Do you get it? Here's why I'm good. Meanwhile, there's a group of scribes and Pharisees that are thinking about how can we kill this guy? So do you begrudge me because I'm good? These are all things we need to think about. The next thing we want to think about God. God does whatever he wants. It's in a salvific, uh, soteriological uh, effect. He is sovereign over all, all things. Nothing enters into life that doesn't pass through a God who loves us. Nothing. Nothing. He is holy, sorry. He's not afraid to say it. I'm God overall. I'm God overall, but he is also the seeking God. In the story, he went out early in the morning. In this story, he went out on the third hour. In this story, he went out in the sixth hour. In this story, he went out in the ninth hour. In this story, he went out in the 11th hour. He is a seeking God. The Bible says no man seeks after God because you don't seek after God until God knocks on your door. We would not even be aware of his existence if God did not reveal himself to us. He comes knocking. Most of us can't even really explain how it happens. We all have our God story, right? Like different events, something happened in our life, but they're usually, one of the common things is there's there's a moment in our life, a thing that happens that causes us to lift our eyes up and say, God, are you real? Are you there? Do you hear me? Well, that thing, (laughs) that's God coming early in the morning. Here's how Luke describes it. Luke 15. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the 99 and go after the one who's lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Who went looking for the lost sheep? Who's the good shepherd? Uh, It is not you and me. Now, we ought to be an example of the shepherd that Jesus is, amen? Not wicked shepherds who fleece the flock and eat them. We should be a a good shepherd, but the good shepherd, what's the Bible say? Psalm 23 says what? The, The Lord is my shepherd, Yahweh. He's the good shepherd. And he is a seeking God. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 just people who need no repentance. Rejoicing! Everybody gets their moment of rejoicing. You come to Christ, the heavens rejoice. For you have become a part of the family of God. What woman who has 10 silver coins, if she loses one, doesn't look for the one she lost? and then Jesus moves into the story of the two sons. Oh, you know it. We've talked about a lost sheep and he talks about a lost coin and then he talks about a lost son. Prodigal son. You remember the end of the story? The older brother is not happy because of the goodness of the father to the other son. Because the older son thinks he's owed something. He's off track from the beginning. Dad, I've always been here and I never left you and I've always done everything you ever wanted me to do, but you've never thrown this giant feast for me. But in a sense, you're lost to me right now. The scribes and the Pharisees, the, the people who thought they were righteous by what they were doing. I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing. I've been here for 12 hours. I did more than them. You did more And it wouldn't matter if you had that 12 hours for eternity. It would not be enough. You can't do because it's already been done. It's already been done. We serve a God who seeks. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save. The lost. John 4.23 says the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. This story illustrates the goodness and the grace of God. And if we look at this story and we're struggling with the idea of why did those people get paid the same thing? It just shows the breakdown in our reasoning. We cannot fathom what God has given. Here's what the word of God declares. Is the word of God true? The word of God is true. The word of God says that the greatest treasure in all of the universe was Jesus. The Bible says that he has already given us the greatest treasure heaven could possess. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? In Christ, you have it all. You have health, wealth, you have everything, but you want it somewhere else. You don't want it in Christ. You want it out here somewhere. I want it... where where I get it. And so we take our identity and we take it out of Christ and we put it in anything else. And then we get to the top of that mountain and we get to the peak that we earn ourselves and we stand on top of that peak and we look around and we say, I don't have anything. Because the treasure is Christ, not cash. The treasure... It's Jesus. As we look at the, the end of the story, there's an interesting idiom that's used here, and I don't, I don't want you guys to miss it. In verse 13, he says, he replied to them, friend, I have done you no wrong. You agreed to work for a denarius. Take what belongs to you and Go. I choose to give this last worker as I gave to you. Am, not, am I not allowed to do with mine what I want to do with mine? And then you have this phrase, or do you begrudge my generosity? It's a, the translators have done all the work, but here in this text, he's saying, or do you have an evil eye because I am good? That's, that's a more literal, but evil eye, I know it doesn't mean anything to us. What, what's this idea of, a, of an evil eye? What is that all about? And I just want to take a moment. I just want to take a moment and, and think about that. In Deuteronomy 15, <clears throat> verse 7, says, If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land, that the Lord your God is giving you, You shall not harden your heart or close your hand against your poor brother. But you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it is. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart. And you say, well, the seventh year, the year of release is near, the year of Jubilee. He won't have to pay me back. And your eye look grudgingly. See that phrase? Your eye look grudgingly and you have an evil eye on your poor brother. And you give him nothing. And he cries out to the Lord and you are guilty of sin. The evil eye is that phrase of being grudging, stingy. You want to understand the idiom of the evil eye? Think of the older brother in the story of the two brothers. The prodigal son, he had an evil eye. Why are you giving my brother this? You never give it to me. You want to understand the evil eye, the the people at the end of this story Jesus told. Why do you give them so much and you didn't give me more? It's this attitude of, of having envy, Jealousy, stingy, closed hand. This is mine. Now, ta- I sh- take that concept. This is mine. Now, back up. There was a rich young ruler who came to Jesus. And Jesus said, You know what you ought to do. And I've done all those things. What do I still lack? Take all that you have and give it away and come and follow me. Jesus understood that the problem for the rich young ruler was he he begrudged other men. He this is mine. I I have accomplished this Nebuchadnezzar, this is the kingdom I have built. And because we have all these things that we think are ours and this is mine and that's mine and and we have all we have an evil eye. We're begrudging our brother or our sister. We're holding all this stuff. And Jesus says, what if you just let all that go? And you remember that the world is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What if you, rather than having tightly closed hands, they were open. And you just let God take what he wants. Because he will also give. Though we don't always understand what he's doing, we know what he's done. Proverbs 22.9 says, Whoever has a bountiful eye, that's a good eye, will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. But a stingy man, a man with an evil eye, hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty has come upon him. Now, think of the church of Laodicea. And you stand around and you say, Jesus, talking to the church of Laodicea, you say, we are rich. We have need of nothing. But Jesus in the report card said, what? You don't even know. You're miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And what was that church? That's the, that's the church of Laodicea. The church of Vomit. Right, For you are neither hot nor cold. You are not refreshing or healing. You are doing or worth nothing. And the church of Laodicea was the richest church of them all. And they sat around holding on to the stuff that was theirs. And then Jesus would say, you need to let it all go. Now look, I'm not telling everybody. So now go write a big check to the church. Give us all your stuff. (laughs) Because then I'd be the rich young ruler too. No, I'm just saying, open your hands. God may want to put more in them. Amen? Or God may want to use what you have. Open your hands. And sometimes when God takes things out of your hands, it's going to hurt. But we've come before the Lord this morning and we sang a song. You remember what it was? I surrender most, some, a little. What did we say? I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. It's all yours. I've, I've talked about this before. It makes me nervous every time I do. I used to have a different Harley. And I said, you know, if the Lord wants my Harley, he can have it. So he hit me with a truck. (laughs) And he took the Harley. That's all the way back in 2009. There's a few people who were here then. Yeah, Bob Pappick came to me with a pail, a steel pail, and told me I needed to wear a helmet from now on. So he he gave me a steel pail with a bunch of rocks on it. There's your helmet. We we surrender, we open our hands. The Lord took it. But then the Lord puts stuff back. It wasn't that I had no I had no motorcycle for five years. And then the Lord said, Here. Now the Lord's leading me to an opportunity to to maybe walk in in, in ministry with disciple Christian Motorcycle Club. I'm excited about what what that may mean for the future and what that's all going to look like. And but that's God did that. Not that's not me making something happen. It's just saying open up your hands. Whatever we have, we ought to have our hands open and say, "Lord, will you use this for your glory?" Amen. Will you use this? Will you use my dairy? Will you Will you use my farm? Will you use my business? Will you use my life? Will you use what I have? And allow me to glorify you by not having an evil eye, but by opening up my hands and asking the Lord to move. You see, the other thing we see in the story is our own selfishness, right? The murmuring and the grumbling that we can be about But we don't want to be those who murmur and grumble. And then Jesus closes the story with the phrase, you've seen it before, you saw it last week, you remember? He said, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first, which means the kingdom of God doesn't work on the same principles that the world works in. First, don't get to be first, and the last are not always last. He's telling us this is, it's all turned around. If you, if you think about what Jesus said in Matthew 8, Matthew 8, 11, he says, I tell you, many will come from the east and the west to recline at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom won't be there. He's saying, Here's the patriarchy of the nation of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's our fathers. For the Jew, that's our fathers. And Jesus says there's going to be people come from every tribe, tongue, and nation to gather for this supper with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the sons of the kingdom are going to miss it. Because the first will be last. And the last will be first. Because the sons of the kingdom, those in the nation of Israel, they rejected their king. Now, praise God, that's, that's not a, according to Romans 11, that's not a declaration of eternal death, is it? Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Does that include you? Yeah. Right? Every nation, every tongue... But you know who your identity will be in in that? It won't be the nation of Israel. Your identity is going to be who? Your identity is going to be Jesus Christ. Because no man comes to the Father except through... That's the only way. That's the only way that we come. Matthew tells uh, another story, Matthew 21... He says, there was a man who had two sons. One son said, oh, dad, I'll do whatever you want. This is Jackie paraphrase. I'll do whatever you want. But he never did it. The other son said, I don't want to do any work. But he went out and did it. You see the principle? The first will be and the last. The kingdom of heaven doesn't work the same way the kingdoms of earth work. So Jesus said in Matthew 21, truly I say to you, tax collectors and prostitutes are going to go to the kingdom of heaven before you, speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees, because they're going to respond. It's easier for them to open their hands. Say, I need you, Jesus, and I don't need nothing else. I just need you. <clears throat> I need you, Lord. We're going we're gonna to close, but I just wanna, I'm going to read this scripture to you. And I just want you to think about it in, in terms of what we've been talking about with this parable, right? The first being last, the last being first, and Jesus being a graceful God who gives more than we deserve that he does whatsoever he pleases, but what he pleases is to save. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, right? This is a condemnation of men, that men love the darkness rather than the light. So Jesus came and made a proclamation. I am the light of the world. Now, some men will choose the darkness. But you don't have to choose a darkness. And God is seeking. Matthew 22, 1 through 14, there's another parable that Jesus spoke saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king that gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they wouldn't come. Again he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatted calves, they've been slaughtered, everything's ready, come to the wedding feast. But they were much too busy. They paid no attention, one went to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his servants and treated them shamefully and even killed some. The king was angry, so he sent his troops and destroyed the murderers and burned their city. And then he said, the wedding feast is still ready, but those who were invited are not worthy. So go everywhere. Go to the hedges. Go on the road and off the road. Go everywhere you can go and invite everyone that you see. Go, therefore, to the main road, invite to the wedding feast, as many as you find. And those servants went to the roads, and they gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. <laughs> the, whole, the, the, the bad is not the surprising part. The surprising part is that there's any good. But it, you know, what he means is some of those people had tattoos. And they had some piercings and you know, they they wore chains out of their pocket. <laughs> they liked motorcycles that made too much noise, whatever. They didn't look like everybody else. But he invited everyone. He didn't care what they looked like. He brought them all. The wedding feast is ready. The wedding feast is ready. And when the king came to look at the gates, there was, or the guests, there was a man there with no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how'd you get in here without a wedding garment? And he said, I don't know. So the king said, Bind him hand and foot and throw him out into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called but few are chosen. What he means is many are invited. Many are invited. Few will respond. The invitations have gone out. The man that's found without the wedding garment, he says, how did you get here? You know, when they came to the wedding feast in those days, wedding garments were provided. You got to the door of the house, and there's a giant box full of whatever the wedding clothes were. Like if you could imagine when you go to a wedding and before you walked in the door of the wedding, whatever the bride's colors were, let's say there was a robe that matched the bride's colors and everybody would put that on. So everybody that was there was wearing the bride's colors for the wedding. You kind of get what I'm saying? So you need to picture it like this. There was outside the door, there was this this big box full of the robes of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And if you don't put that on, you can't come in. Because you can't earn the things that the owner of the vineyard is paying. You receive them by grace. By grace you have been saved through faith. So because I know the only way through that door is to put this on. I'm going to clothe myself in the righteousness of Jesus Christ for he who knew no sin became my sin sacrifice, that I might become the righteousness of God. So I clothe myself. I put that on and I walk in because I want to be clothed in the blood of Jesus. And when I walk in, you can't imagine the joy of that day. no matter what you try to compare it to, no matter who you've lost and who you may see on that day, nothing will compare. Because on the worst day of human history, as Jesus is being crucified, and we see a little picture of that in Revelation 21 and 22, the culmination of the new heaven and the new earth, and Jesus makes this proclamation. See? I made all things new. What's all things new look like? Think about every hurt you've ever felt, every pain you've ever experienced, every wrong you've ever, anything that ever landed on you and was not good. And Jesus makes a proclamation that in him, in his presence, there will be a day when he will say, I fixed all that. I fixed your hurt. I wiped away your sorrow, every tear, right? <laughs> I made everything new. No one else has that hope. The invitations have been sent, the Lord has called. All we have to do is come. But you don't earn it. It's not under contract because you earned it. It's by grace. We're the 11th hour. What are you going to do that can measure up to the gift Christ gave? Nothing. So what's my response? To love God and love his people. Amen? Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity that we have to come before you. And I'm sure all of us have some place to be and something to do, so I won't waste a lot of time here other than to say the invitations have gone out. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there will be elders and deacons around this room who want to introduce you to the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who want to help you know that you have a relationship with him, who want to help you know what it means to be clothed in his righteousness. We are surrounded by brothers and sisters in this place that want to help you because here we are family. We love each other. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We will be patient. We will be encouraging. We will mess up. And we will forgive. And we will keep moving forward until we see Jesus face to face. For sorrow has come for the evening, but joy is in the morning. There will be a day when we will all, standing around our Savior, proclaim he is worthy. We will weep and we will cry and we will sing We will fall on our faces. We will be filled with emotion. We can't even begin to imagine on that day. You want a little insight? Revelation 4 and 5. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. You are my king. And even if I don't always know what you're doing, I know you are good because you give what I don't deserve. You are merciful and full of grace. And you are mighty to save. So I pray this morning, if you don't know Jesus, talk to someone who will help introduce you and then we pledge to help you grow and help you know that you are a child of the king no longer slave in the world we are children of the king and we will teach you how to look for him how to endure this world and keep our eyes on the prize and we will give you a place where you belong no matter how you look or what you do because that's what children of the king do so God move in this place by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.